Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at B'nai Torah Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun, a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today we're talking about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math for young learners. That is, toddlers through preschoolers. I have three amazing educators with me who know how kids learn and grow with curiosity and genuine enthusiasm. I have Lori Barbag, Alexis Kobo, and Linda Pavlo. Lori and Alexis are also living science, technology, and math with their own little ones. And Linda is kicking off the STEM program here at the Torah, including coding classes for all of our big thinkers and problem solvers. Today, I want to dispel all those science, math, and technology fears. I want to break apart all the myths by connecting STEM to age-appropriate fun and learning. Here we go. Lori, would you like to get us started? Sure. Um, so I'm actually at the other end of the spectrum as far as education is concerned. I teach at the high school level. But, of course, I have my three little ones, one, three, and five. So we're busy with them. Um, and I think math, from the math standpoint, because that's what I teach, um, for our little ones, it's all about getting them to create and getting them to go through the idea of math to actually make it tangible for them, to use manipulatives, to have them go through and actually experience math rather than teaching it to them, making it discovery. Um, so, so learning concepts of numeracy is absolutely. very different than counting to a certain number or being able to do some sort of rote skill math yeah, having them be able to actually understand what a group of 10 means, you know, or am I, when I'm estimating, am I close to the amount that it should be? Actually having that number value and knowing what it means is so important and building that foundation for them. It's so deep. And it starts with babies and it's mm -hmm. going to go through toddlers. So we're coming back to you. Okay. But what I think is so key is this idea that it, it happens in ordinary, everyday ways, but with people who are aware and connecting it to what we know matters for building buildings and, mm -hmm. and big, big structures of, in the brain. And even so, ultimately, when they are older and they're, they're going to need to be um, able to innovate and create for jobs that don't even exist today. So we really want them to be able to think 
and really get through that mental process and have nothing hold them back. Okay, and I'm going to come back to how much that has changed in education over each of your careers. Um, and I want to come back to specifically like some of the things that your boys are doing, um, even even our little guy who's, who, who's two, <laughs> so we're just turning to. Mm-hmm. Okay, Alexis. Uh, so uh, for me, as a full-time computer science and educational technologist, pre-K to five. This is starting my fifth year in that role, but this is actually my ninth year as an educator. And the little secret that always surprises people whenever I talk about what I do is that I am not trained in any of this. I have a bachelor's in Jewish studies and a master's in Jewish <laughs> education. That, and this all sort of just fell into my lap. But because it, meaningful learning always <laughs> matters. Yeah. Okay. And I have a four-and-a-half-year-old son and two stepdaughters that are 16 and 12. So I, just like Lori, am living this world with my little guy in particular um, because it's applicable to the age that I teach um, currently, professionally. But I want to piggyback on what Lori said I don't think that breaking them down into categories, science, technology, engineering, math, there's really any difference Mm -hmm. because my goal in focusing on technology, and we can even say engineering, is exactly the same as Lori's goal with math. It's teaching them. Yeah, it's teaching them logic reasoning. It's teaching them thinking. It's teaching them um, how to communicate, how to collaborate, how to create and not consume the technology. And one of the biggest messages that I always put out there to parents when they talk to me or they're nervous or afraid, oh, do you think it's too early for my pre-K child to be coding? It's it's not about the device or the tool. It's about the skills that it can build to help them when they're older for these jobs that don't yet exist. We're making them really deep critical thinkers. That's the goal of STEM. In a nutshell. I agree. I agree. I agree. And oh, there's so much to talk about. Okay, so and, and, and real quick, before we introduce Linda, how does all that tie into um, fun, early childhood, and play? So it's exciting for me. I'm actually getting ready to go to MIT to give an Ignite talk, which is like a short five-minute presentation that's supposed to sort of stimulate conversation. And that, what you just said, is actually the entire topic of my Ignite talk. Um, so give her the next five minutes of the podcast. <laughs> no, not, even, not even five minutes. I can, I can give it to you in three words. So five years ago, actually, Lori um, introduced me to the word STEM when I was applying for um, a job at North Broward. And I had already been very into technology, but I really didn't know what STEM meant in terms of education. And Lori and I were having a phone conversation (laughs) while I was interviewing. And she's like, you got to really know about STEM. And I'm like researching everything there is to know. And nothing really existed at that time. And even still, it's really only been in the last two, three years that it's really become a major trend or concept in education. Um, So in any event, that summer reading when I got hired, we read the book Creating Innovators by Tony Wagner. Love that book. Love that book. Google those. Google it, Google it, Google it. That (laughs) book changed my life personally and professionally. There are three concepts out of that book, play, purpose, and passion. And so even... As a parent, I remember play, purpose, and passion Mm -hmm. when I'm 
thinking about how I'm going to approach something with Elon. Um, and so this is why STEM in particular is so relatable for kids at an early age, because if your activity involves play, hands-on physical activity learning, if it's got a purpose to help them maybe master some of those early developmental appropriate skills, like numeracy, like even reading, letter identification, it doesn't really matter what the skill is. And then if you can invoke some type of passion that the child has, or even for the teacher and the parent that they have, then it sort of connects it all together. So that to me is really how I've translated all of this together and connected the dots together for myself. That book totally changed everything for me. And and, and it goes right to Gopnik's book, Scientist in the Crib. We know that babies, toddlers, and preschoolers are the most essential scientists of all because they're hitting the world with curiosity and just intense problem solving. So yes, this is not a foreign topic (laughs) to early childhood educators. Um, But now how do we um, change how we teach and experience? So now I'm giving it to you, Linda, because... um, I know you have a lot to add on this as well. Well, I've been teaching here for about 15 years, and like you said, STEM is just a new concept, but not new to the cla- not new to the early childhood classroom. I think it's just incorporating everything across the curriculum, not just saying we're just going to do a science lesson or just, we're just going to do a math lesson, but give the children through play, which is what we like to do, a learning experience, teach them or give them an experience, and, and really give them the time. Yes. It's, it's all about giving them mm-hmm. the time to explore. And I think that's the, a really important thing, and not just giving it one day and then move on the following week to something else. It's letting them explore as long as they're interested in it and getting them excited about it. Because science, collaboration, and problem solving don't necessarily fit into little time restraints. And because if you're doing real science, the aha moment doesn't necessarily come when you think it's going to be planned. Um, And so you have to have this ability. And the word you used used with me was we were... um, talking before the, mm-hmm. the mic went on is giving them time to observe themselves and giving them the skill to be self-aware so that they are aware of each other and themselves in this process. Um, so you're like maybe the science is this meta level that is I'm doing science, but I'm also very aware that this is something that I am engaged in. And, and so I can evaluate and analyze what I'm doing as I'm doing it. Um, and I think we can give that gift to toddlers as easily well, as, as we can Well, as early as you can store it. It's, you store it in the natural world. And just walking out to the playground, get them to be really good at observing and giving them the time, not, let's go, we have to rush to the playground. Give them as much time as they need to explore the world around them. Yes. And that's, that's key to... Okay, and you're going to be teaching something that's very frightening to many people out there or (laughs) foreign to many people. And and if you guys could see out there what's going on in this room, we're writing frantically because there are so many things we want to bring in. Um, But before we go any further, I want you to tell us what you're going to be doing as you teach coding to pre-K kids. Um, And then I'll give it back to Alexis um, so that we can talk about how we're creating new ways of of 
thinking um, and, that, and making them very self-aware of it. Well, coding, it's actually like a, the newest literacy for, for children. And it's a, for pre-K and even younger, there are so many new ways to teach it. They don't have to be readers, that they use blocks. But it really, it teaches, um, it brings in a lot of math concepts of sequencing and logic and problem solving and really creativity to, to do so many things. It's how all our applications on our computer are done. And um, there's just, I, I found so many ways to teach it without the computer and then with the computer, with the iPads. And there's just so many great games that, that they're going to be able to use. And it's also the math concepts of directionality. And I've been playing around with it, and I just, I'm so excited about it. And I think that they'll be, well, they'll be really excited mm -hmm. about it. Just just being able to move characters in the game, they'll be able to make create their own games. Yes, and that, and yes. I think that's what, what Laurie said a creation. Is, yeah. We are raising a generation for 2040, for 2050, mm -hmm. yes. for a time when, when if they know how to be learners and how that process of, of creation and problem solving works, then there's no limit to what they can do. So this past school year, I had a really unique opportunity, even though I had been doing coding type of activities um, at my previous school, this year at Pinecrest, I was part of a team of educators that introduced computer science as its own discipline um, by integrating and pushing into the curriculum pre-K through Eight, really. There are two different departments, but the curriculum existed as well in 9th through 12th already. Um, but so I was responsible for developing and, and implementing the curriculum pre-K to 5. And so if you can imagine, just picture in your head, me, and I'm not that big of a person, <laughs> walking into a classroom of 14, 15, four or five-year-olds with a giant gray cart of weird shaped blue and orange robots on like the second day of school and the kids are immediately like Mrs. Kobo what is that what are we going to do to that with that that's like the immediate like already there's inquiry there's curiosity they're they're already thinking on a deeper level asking better questions than they might have ever done in a regular you know activity like i think about like the see think wonder that i was we just going to say that. they're verbalizing their exactly. thoughts which is so huge exactly and okay. then you start to like unfold all the layers that go into it but Absolutely. i think okay. Okay, I have to stop you there. Yeah. Um, and if anybody wants to add to this point, so so we're speaking for parents out here. Yeah. We're speaking for parents who might think, I can't do this. I'm right. not good at this. Tell us the bare bones of see, think, wonder, and asking better questions, but in the most, for parents in their home life. So here's the one the one challenge I want to, before I answer the question, I want to like back up and give a challenge because with all of this amazing stuff that's coming out, there are all of these awesome tools that are mm -hmm. coming out to help you get there. And what the parents are seeing are all the tools. And immediately all they want to do, because their kids come home and they're like, Mommy, we played with the Dash robot and the Ozobot and this bot and that bot, and I want it. Because it does bring a really high level of engagement. And even at four years old, these kids immediately, the first thing they say to me is, Mrs. Kobo, where can I get this? I have to keep playing this. Mm -hmm. 
I had a couple of students with one of the things trying to take the pieces because they didn't want me to leave. Sure, sure. So, which is very nice, and I'm glad they enjoyed the activity, but the parents then respond, and some do respond by instantly buying. Mm -hmm. But there needs to be... That's not going to get them where they want to go. There needs to be this caution of, well, hold on a second. Let your educators, just like you would, like you wouldn't go buying a full curriculum series Mm -hmm. at home because you're teachers are doing it in school you would say hold on a second like let's let your teachers get started and then we'll see what we can get to build upon it so yeah I think sometimes parents go out and buy all these things thinking it's the best thing for their kid but in fact they don't know how to necessarily use it I think that's where a lot of the fear from parents comes because they don't know it. They didn't learn it in that way. This wasn't around when we were growing up. It's all new. And so what we can do is encourage those parents to embrace the new and and guide them, but not actually go out and buy 5,000 new technology things. There's, you know, it's it goes along with uh, Harvard's visible thinking routines. You can use them at any level you know, really young kids to to graduate students, and it really just gets them to verbalize what they're thinking. And I think that's uh, See, Think, Wonder is part of that. Um, I think it, it's a great way of getting them to be engaged and to actually get answers from your kids instead of, you know, what did you do with that at school today? How did you learn it? Well, what makes you say that? Right. Where did you, you know... And there's art of asking the great question. And there's so many ways that you could sit at home and engage with your child and see how much they're learning without having the devices. Something that Mm -hmm. um, Lori had said was there's ways that computer science exists and that coding exists without touching a device. And that would be called CS Unplugged, Computer Science Mm -hmm. Unplugged. There's an actual website dedicated to... Every topic in computer science with unplugged activities, meaning no device. So what's it called? CS Unplugged? CSUnplugged.org. It's a fantastic resource. uh, And there's everything from binary to arrays and strings and all the big terms that you hear about in coding that for many people that hear computer science and they think, I don't know what that means. You can learn what that means and you can simplify it down to the level of a child. So for example, one of the activities that we did this year, we had a buddy day where we paired the little guys, the pre-K kids with our eighth graders and the eighth graders came in and they, the pre-K kids taught them about binary because we read a fantastic book. There are probably over a hundred different published works of children's books that are written about computer science and teach coding and logic, but children's books, just like many of the other books that are in this room. So we read a book called A Robot Story that um, is written by a mom who is a very famous um, IBM software programmer, and she wanted to teach her twin two-year-old boys how to count in binary to 10. Mm-hmm. And so it's a rhyme and it teaches the pattern. And so That's I awesome. sit in a circle on the floor with the kids and I want the kids to not view computer science as anything different than what they would really do with their regular teacher. So a lot of times it's me reading them a book, but they're getting the concept. So they understood binary, meaning 
on and off. Computers take input, output in only two forms, on and off, or black and white. And so then we made... We made binary yeah. bracelets <laughs> yes. together. And the pre-K kids love, made their binary bracelets with their eighth grade partners. And they made in their initials. So they learned, like, the binary. They actually learned hexadecimal um, code in binary for um, the project. So that's really... That's part of, like, Harvard's CS50 Intro mm-hmm. to Computer Science course, but four-year-olds were doing exactly. it. Exactly. And it, it's unplugged. And there, it was a concept that they were able to understand. So, I was just going to say, it comes down to those concepts. When we're teaching them at the young level to pattern right. and to figure mm-hmm. out shapes and patterning and colors and sequences, that's all the algorithms that they're exactly. going to use for programming later on. It teaches them to think logically, which is that problem-solving aspect of it all. The other thing that, to going back to your question, when I don't see parents as any different than when I'm teaching teachers, because so many of the teachers are like, hang on a second, I don't know that I could do this coding unless you were here in the room with me. And I keep reminding them, hey, wait, like I had nobody holding my hand and teaching me coding. I didn't go to MIT. You know, I might get to talk at MIT now, but I've taught myself, so you can too. I will start a lot of times by saying like, Who in here likes to cook? And a lot of people like to cook. Do you follow recipes? Sure, I follow recipes. Do you make your own recipes? Yeah, I make my own recipes. Great. You create algorithms every single time you're doing that. You're coding. And the power of of holding that mirror up to young children so that they can see, I am successful and I do this. Um, And what I do is at such a high level, it gives them a sense of, of power and understanding in the world that I think is priceless. Yeah. But now I'm going to, I have to, go ahead. I, that just made me think, you know, when you're collaborating, a lot of programming later on, people think that programming, you sit in a room by yourself, the geeks, the geeks and they're just, you know, tapping away at their computer and there's no interaction with anybody. And it's the direct opposite of that. In fact, when you're writing code, you actually put notes into your coding so that when people are writing their code, they can use your line of code here to help them to figure out this algorithm. Yeah. It's so collaborative. It's so the opposite of what it... And this is so huge. There is nothing, um, I think, more important than, than raising children for this new age, this innovative learners, other than co- collaborative learning. And, and or, as our friend Mrs. Englander says, voice and choice. That children mm. grow learning that they're part of a team, that they're part of something bigger than themselves. Talk about STEM and collaboration um, and what that means in terms of what you see in classrooms um, from, from threes on. I mean, let, I mean, it's twos as well, but, I mean, your boys are in it, your son's in it, you've taught it. How are we changing how we teach? Sitting in seats, being quiet, listening, and receiving instruction is no longer um, the best way to right. become. It's, it's all about that interactivity. 
You know, if they're using their magna tiles to create something, they're not sitting there doing it on their own. They're working in their groups to make this solid structure. And isn't it bigger and better when you're working all together rather than individually? So as much as you can make it tangible for them, the more they're going to learn from that experience. And of course, they don't know they're learning. They're playing. They're learning through play. That's exactly what our goal is. I wrote down before a note, play-based learning. Oh, and you have, there's another point there that I want you to say because it's not either or. Go for that. Right. Okay, so... In, in both of the settings that Lori and I work in, they're known for being highly academically rigorous. And that term, rigor, brings so much weight behind it that when we think traditionally of rigor, we think of sitting with a paper and pen and drilling and, and skills and worksheets and kids being able to just rattle off facts at nauseam. But that's not necessarily rigorous. And there's so many studies out there from Harvard, from Yale, from MIT that will show that getting back to a play-based preschool classroom where kids are moving, where it looks like it's disruptive environment because they're talking, they're collaborating, they're connecting, they're interacting, that that is really stimulating the brain and developing the brain much faster than what has been happening. So in my classroom in it, organized chaos in and organized explain, chaos and that's exactly the role what of a facilitator teacher in that setting so for me i am never in the room with the kids alone um, the teacher stays it's sort of like built in pd that's the way we've chosen to set it up so i'm not a specialist in the sense that the kids get dropped off in my lab and the teachers get a break i go into the classroom i don't have my own classroom So I bring everything in carts into their classroom, and part of that is intentional so that the kids see that this stuff is happening everywhere around them, that it's not just in one room. It's not in the computer lab or in the science lab, that it's, oh, it's in my classroom or at Pinecrest in Boca, the campus is set up, the lower school has what's called neighborhoods, each grade level, and it's this amazing flexible learning space of like a thousand square feet that each classroom opens up to with sliding glass doors and they can do different activities. So in pre-K this year, they were doing an extended play-based learning unit on um, on the vets. Um, on a veterinary unit. So they had a giant area set up like a vet with 14 different costumes of the same for dress-up play, like for imaginative play, and then the kids could open up the vet, and they ran an office, and they had every different type of stuffed animal... you can think of to take to the so vet. So age appropriate and meaningful for their experience. And they and they used it for their writing. They used it for their math. I mean, they had a cash register. They were charging people. They had to wait. <laughs> and then we brought in the computer science and we used that robot and we dressed him up like a puppy. We made masks <laughs> for him and we used him in the vet. He was sick and they were programming and controlling the robot. So we added that in. But so as my role as the facilitator is to really quick mini lesson, 10 minute whole group demonstrate the skill that the kids are working on. And then it is all the kids for the rest of the time. Really the goal is less of me, Mm -hmm. more of the kids. 
And over the course of time, as the teachers see and get more comfortable that they're using these, the language, they're using the, the tools and, without me there. And, and I want parents the out there. It is, the, it is the language. The language. I mean, you have to that, learn that, the language to, to facilitate the learning. I think once you, it's getting the children comfortable asking questions. I too. agree wholeheartedly. It's like you're putting out this new vocabulary into the children's world, and that's where parents need that access to that so that they can then continue at home, mm-hmm. so that the classroom teachers can continue. And again, just because this is just how, how we learn, how we think, how we problem solve. And we're getting back to something so essential that I can't be more excited. Now, go to now. You wanted to you did you were a little bit objection. Ab, ab, you had a little objection that I wasn't calling it steam today. Oh, so yes. let's, let's go to the steam just for so, the well balanced. Yeah. So science, technology, engineering, mathematics, but I like to call it steam and incorporate the arts, um, much like Alexis was talking before about bringing music and rhythm into things when they're learning binary or making the bracelets that are patterning. There's so many elements that just make it conducive to being collaborative across all curriculum. Um, and it really, it, it makes it whole for them. Yeah, we did a fantastic piggybacking on the binary. So from binary, you can go into a whole unit on pixels. And we partnered with the art teachers, and we did a whole unit on pixel art. And you should have seen the artwork Mm -hmm. that the four-year-olds were doing on pixel art. And then we had an iPad app where they could create their own pixel art. And then it translated. There's an amazing tool called Bloxels, which is a pixel grid with little tiny blocks, and each block represents a part of a video game. So green is terrain, blue is water, purple are enemies, hot pink are lava, and the kids can arrange a grid and create their own video game, take a picture, and then the video game comes to life like augmented reality on their iPad and they play it. Incredible. And they're learning design thinking. They're learning... um, how to collaborate, they're, you know, they're testing, they're failing, they're iterating, like that whole process. Tell everybody what iterating is. (laughs) It's taking something and making it better over and over again. It's allowing for the mistakes and the process, that there is no final product, that it is this ongoing, I mean, and and it's a whole different way of thinking. It is. For me as a grown-up, I had to learn just create something, put it out there in the world, and let that interaction in the world cultivate it, nurture it, change it, and let it emerge rather than thinking, I can't put something out until it's complete. There and is no sense know, of completeness right, anymore. We know right. there is no complete. There the is no you complete. How send out an app, there's this. an update. And failure right. is so much better <laughs> than, I say to the kids, it is okay, you know, even when we're playing some of the apps that teach the skills, which I don't love, but we do it just because it reinforces, I say to them, it's okay if you don't get past any, only the one level today. If you fail and you, you tried, that's it. Failing is acceptable. Not trying is unacceptable. That's right. That's what failing is. And if parents can take that away from this, because if we're going to STEM thinking and problem solving, we are making mistakes. We are watching things 
fail in the most glorious of ways and learning from it. And oh boy, what an exciting world this is going to be. <laughs> it's just giving kids so much more space to grow and not putting this pressure yes. that we have to be this perfect cookie cutter in the box type of child. I was going to say that you have to teach them there's no right answer all there's the time. There's no right answer. So you can't always say why or or you know, it's sometimes it's what and when you do an experiment, it's not always going to come out. Maybe nine times it won't come out right. And you learn nine times maybe what, what you shouldn't do or what you could do different. It's just so many great things that you learn from that. Looking and up. as parents, if you don't understand what they're doing or what they're coming up with, that's okay. Sometimes it's them discovering in their own way or understanding something possibly that you don't know. Um, the other day we were, I was <laughs> flying out of town and um, the the pilot came on the intercom and said, you know, please put your cell phones away. You could turn them onto airplane mode. And if you don't know how to do that, turn to your closest four-year-old and have him do it for you. Love it. It's true. You know, they know more than most adults at this point. And as they're going through the schooling and as they're growing, there's a lot of things that they might know that you don't. And you can't be fearful of it. You just have to embrace it. Totally. I think this is the key for parents. We have digital natives, meaning they have yes. never grown up in a world without Absolutely. technology. There's an awesome, like, <laughs> three-minute YouTube video of a mom birthing a baby, and as the baby is coming out, the baby grabs the doctor's <laughs> hand and cuts the umbilical cord himself and then pulls the cell phone out of the the pocket and snaps a selfie and then, like, literally walks out of the womb and then walks out of the hospital. Okay, well, send me the link so that I can post it I will. the podcast. I will. It's, it's, like per, it's the perfect explanation of how we have digital natives. These kids have never been without technology. They've never known a world without the Internet. They've mm -hmm. never known a world without social media. But we have to make them digital learners, which exactly. is incredibly different. And so while, yes, limiting screen time is important, yes, we want to encourage physical activity, there's ways to do all of that, but the teaching them how to use the technology to create and to get them there is what is so important. And oftentimes what parents come back at me with is, well, don't you think like we're just frying their brains by handing them devices? That's not what I'm advocating not, for. Not in the least. And yeah. so, and, and I want to do one more thing and then I'm going to go to our wrap up and we will just plan part two of this because <laughs> this, this, we, when we hit off the new school year, we're, we'll kick it off with another um, STEM part two <laughs> or STEAM part two. <laughs> um, what I want to ask though is because as you've already said, you know, we're not, you, we, there is this whole um, unplugged version. Right. Um, and, and while I'm very excited about this whole new STEM emphasis in the world, you know, the last few holiday seasons, if you Google STEM toys, you are being bombarded with new ways of engaging children. Some are meaningful, some are not. Mm -hmm. Some are quick fixes, some are not. So any cautionary notes any, to add about watch out for the STEM marketing or the STEM packaging that will not take your child or your family to a deeper place in learning or growing. I almost feel like the less a toy does, the more 
the child is going to gain developmentally. You know, even just giving them a box with a bunch of markers and uh, string and tape and just letting them have that is going to be a huge experience for them. And so some of these toys just have so much going on and it does it for them rather than having them discover it. Um, that's what I would be cautious about. So, All of those building tangible ones where you're creating, those are awesome. I, I would also say that there's something to be said for that special, unique, fun, wow factor of going to school and seeing that your child has it at school and it, they get to do it there. I feel like oftentimes I'm seeing this world of oh, I already have that. I already know how to use it. But they really don't know how to use it. So, Because this isn't about entertainment. This is is not about just plugging them in to pacify or calm or quiet. This is something that is internally motivated, that is coming from this deep curiosity with them. Right. I will say, like, my own son has two of these tech toys, and they're both toys that could reinforce all these other types of skills that look very basic on the outside, like Lori was saying. And I would definitely say any of the games that are unplugged, like the board games. Talk about the board games. Um, the board games like Robot Turtle, for example, by ThinkFun, any of the ThinkFun board games mm-hmm. I think are fantastic, and they are like between $18 and $25, mm-hmm. staying in that price range. Because these kids, let's be honest, they have short attention spans, and while it might be unique and fun right now, it'll get put aside. And board, but all all those old traditional board games are still hugely yes. mathematically su- support all mathematical growth mm-hmm. and development. Yes. And that whole number line and jumping along spaces and being able to um, to, to know that nine is is closer to ten on the right. on that on the on those spaces versus you know where the railroads are on Monopoly. Blah yeah. blah blah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's critical, critical, critical to have some of these very it's traditional. It's turn taking. It's also collaborative play mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's strategizing it's all the things that they'll need for when they're programming so resist day. the gimmicks and and know that this is really about this deep learning and again see think wonder mm-hmm. and asking better questions and i mean everybody knows what science is and if we can tie math and technology to scientific inquiry right okay so wrap up <laughs> i hate to do it to you so quickly um you're looking at a whole new world. You've gone through transitions yourselves as teachers. You've gone through transitions, you know, raising children in a whole new world um, from the one that you were raised in when it comes to STEM and STEAM and inquiry. Um, how have you got this? How have you got this? And you can be excited and confident. Um, how, how would you like to wrap this up for, um, for parents everywhere out there? Lori, have you got this for yourself as a mom and as a teacher? And as a teacher. Um, well, as a mom, I think it's all about, you know, you always want what's best for your child. And you want them to feel comfortable in their own skin. And these, all of these ideas that we spoke about, they all allow them to play, to discover, to learn, and to build that confidence so that they can go out and innovate and create and be whoever they want to be. Love it. Yes. 
Linda, have you well, got this? As my, my sons are all grown, <laughs> but they're still learning. One of them's still in school, actually, medical school. But as a, as a teacher, when I when I work with them with this with the STEM, I just love to see the light in their eye. They're curious, they're excited, and just to just to continue building the excitement, and they want to learn. And so I just want to continue that. Perfect. I'm going to go back to play, purpose, and passion because that, Mm -hmm. to me, just summarizes everything. For me as a mom and for me as an educator, like I have the unique ability to get to put my, my personal passion, which is being a mother, into what I do professionally as a STEM educator and watch kids play all day and encourage (laughs) them to play and get their teachers and parents to see why it's so important to give them the space to do that. So play purpose and passion. Okay, so one more question now for all of you. I hate to do this, (laughs) but I can't resist. We know what that message means for kids. What does that message mean for the grown-ups out there Um, so that they can be the role models and examples of play, purpose, and passion? means they have to let go a little of the expectation of what school are they going to because if they can if they can envision their child playing with a purpose to fulfill their the ultimate passion of being the lawyer, the doctor, whatever it is that they, wherever they want to get to, then that dream school that they are envisioning for them will be there because they'll have all the tools and they'll be unique and they'll be able to stand out and they'll feel successful and they'll feel confident and validated and supported by their parents. I, I think to me that's been the biggest takeaway for me as a mother and as an educator. Mm -hmm. Learning to let go, learning to trust. And I think as an educator, that's exactly what we're doing. It's very different from what it was years ago where it was the teacher-based learning. Now it's student-centered. They are what is driving the classroom. And, And what we're doing is we're giving them the tools for their tool belt to be successful later in life. Thank you so much. I cannot tell you how exciting it is to hear you share this with the world because this is not something that's overwhelming, that's oppressive, that's scary. This is just so liberating and so joyful for kids and families everywhere. Thank you. you. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow, listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey, loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules, you write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to The Front and The Follow for the song listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.